Well, good morning. This is the Lou Rockwell Show, and what an honor it is to have as our guest this morning, Professor Angelo Cotavilla. Professor Cotavilla is Professor Emeritus of International Relations at Boston University. He's been a visiting professor at Princeton University, uh, visiting fellow at the Hoover Institution. Right now, he's um, be calling us from the Claremont Graduate School, where he received his PhD. He was born and raised in Italy, uh, educated in, in this country, and as the author of 13 books, extraordinary books. So I, uh, we could talk about many things this morning, but I, I wanted to, if I might, talk about your astoundingly good uh, essay. We could, I could use those adjectives for many of you, <laughs> much of what you've written, on the rise of political correctness and what the ruling class has done to America, done to the people that it despises, and what's ahead. So could you talk to us a little bit first about where political correctness comes from and what it really is. Well, political correctness is the mo most important thing to keep in mind about it is that it has uh, very little to do with the actual things that are demanded, the actual uh, bows and scrapes that are demanded uh, of the population. The most important thing is the fact that they are being demanded at all. The um, the people who are doing the demanding are, don't so much care about uh, uh, which bathrooms, who uses which bathrooms. What they really care about is, is imposing their will and um, um, making it clear again and again and again that they rule and not you. Uh, the uh, uh, Martin Luther King uh, wanted, wanted to uh, make sure that... Uh, that uh, there would be no distinction uh, on the, the basis in America on the basis of race. Uh, the, um, uh, the ruling class wants to make sure that there's a distinction, uh, an abiding, powerful distinction between those who have power and those who don't. They've got the power, they rule, they get to command, you don't, you get to obey. Where did this originate? Where did it come from? Is it cultural Marxism? Does it go back further than that? Is it Gramsci or? Well, I mean, ultimately, ultimately it, uh, I mean, the most um, uh, the modern version of this, of course, uh, is, is Marxism in, in its various in its various uh, manifestations, including Gramsci, etc. But uh, really, the, um, uh, the the most fundamental drive for this is the human, all too human desire to rule and to uh, humiliate those who, uh, who are ruled. Uh, the, uh, look, uh, uh, this is especially prevalent in, uh, in uh, the Judeo-Christian uh, context uh, in which um, holiness was, was prized. And so those who were in power uh, uh, gloried in being holier than thou. Well, now they've become trendier than thou, but still <laughs> the most important distinction is more powerful than thou. And because we are more powerful than thou, we can make you do this and make you do that. And uh, what we make you do is less important than the fact that we're the ones who are making you do it. Well, is it any different? Is it is it simply one aspect of the state? Is it simply... Or a state. Uh... Yes, it, it, it's one aspect. It's one aspect of uh, of power being waged by, of, and for the delight of those who hold power. Uh, 
Look, um, one of the most uh, important and neglected facts out there is that uh, something like 90% or more of people employed in government bureaucracies belong to the Democratic Party. Now, that is no accident. They got that way because those of a certain kind made sure to hire and, and promote only those of that kind and to despise all others. This happens in, in history again and again. And uh, at a certain point, uh, those who are under the thumb uh, revolt and um, then there's freedom for a while and, and then uh, uh, new orthodoxies are imposed and uh, abused. Uh, and we are in we are, are in one of those situations right now. Look, this country was founded on the notion that all men are created equal, and uh, that everyone's views are to be taken into account um, uh, equally and understood uh, on their own merits. Well, um, no, that's not what is going on right now. Uh, you have a whole class of people who consider uh, those who are not their kind not to be taken into account, not worthy to be taken into account. And so um, the point is to um, continue to show that, to continue to demonstrate contempt for them, to pile new and more humiliating requirements on them. Look, who would have thought five years ago that the notion that, that saying that a, man, that a marriage is between a man and a woman uh, would be considered a, a sign of, um, of of a pathology. Pathology? <laughs> Married between a man and a woman? Huh? What? Oh? Uh, but it is. Of course it's a pathology. Uh, why? Why? Because the experts say so. Uh, <laughs> and, and it goes on and on and on. Before we, I want to talk a little bit about the political effects of all of this. Uh, am I wrong to be thinking that the universities, as least as we've come to traditionally conceive them, are being destroyed? Or have these seeds always been in, uh, in the, uh, maybe at least since the, uh, the PhD came to America, has, uh, <laughs> has, this, has this always been there and it's just, it's just growing? Uh, what, what's the future of the university? Well, the universities have been destroyed. They are certainly not where you go to get an education, except accidentally. They are, they, it's where you go to get a, uh, a certificate of belonging to a certain class. The education is incidental. The nice thing about the United States of America, of course, is that you, you can get an education if you really want it. <laughs> but uh, the universities are, are not going to give it to you as a matter of course. Look, I was, I was a professor for most of my life, and uh, I experienced increasing pressure to simply give passing grades uh, in exchange for what? Well, in exchange for less and less and less. Uh, when I was in college, we studied, oh my gosh, uh, eight, ten hours a day. But my students, by the time I retired, oh gosh, I don't know that they studied at all. They almost demanded cheat sheets for the exams. And um, the universities frowned upon flunking anybody. And this is not just the university. I mean, this is a, a phenomenon that has spread through our society. I recall once I, I flunked a kid 
I got a call from uh, none other than the head of the uh, Marine ROTC program at Boston University saying that, uh, you know, uh, the kid needed uh, to pass my course to graduate. And he was a smart kid. And I said, yeah, I know he's a smart kid. And I know, <laughs> but I also know he was smart enough to know that you would make this call for him. <laughs> you know? I said, no, I'm not going to pass the kid. He said, well, we've invested a lot in him. Yeah, well, the, imagine what kind of a kid you've got. You've got somebody who has learned to play the game. So, you, you know, the universities uh, have, uh, uh, yeah, it's possible to get an education there, but it surely is not required. Is it your estimation that other forms of education will spring up? I mean, will there be alternative educational institutions, or will people still be able to go to the universities and get an education and just do their best to ignore uh, what else is going on? Although my guess is that's increasingly difficult for the students as well as for the professors. Well, well the, the nice thing about um, the serious, the very serious field, physics, chemistry, is that um, it's impossible to, well, not impossible, but it's, it's awfully difficult to mess those up. And you've got places like Caltech, that um, Caltech uh, and cert certain parts of MIT, not all of it, and certain parts of Berkeley, by the way. Berkeley is, is a, in many ways, a, a very, very good institution because it takes people simply on the basis of their scores. And they're heartless and cruel about the grades they give. And so if you want to study physics and you're good, uh, by golly, go to Caltech, go to MIT, go to Berkeley, and you'll get a wonderful education. But if you want to learn the humanities, sure as hell, don't go to university. Uh, you may run into a, a professor who actually cares about these things, but chances are that you won't. And so you will have to look elsewhere for those who do care. Uh, you know, it's not easy, uh, which is why the, uh, our civilization is, is being lost. Technology is being kept up, uh, at least among <laughs> among primarily Asians, students who are being discriminated against, uh, but uh, the rest of uh, the educational system is going to pot. Now, at the lower levels, there are all sorts of uh, correctives springing up. Homeschooling, for one, is thriving in America and producing uh, really uh, top-notch kids. When I uh, taught, I could tell right away which students had been homeschooled. They were the ones who raised their hands. They were the ones who uh, had done their assignments, who, who had paid attention, who cared. They were very different from the, the standard public school product. Wow. No, and I, I can remember a few years ago, uh, Harvey Mansfield writing an article saying that no student at Harvard ever got less than an A in anything. They demanded it. The university demanded it. The parents demanded it. And the professors acquiesced. Well, yeah, they had to. Look, as a professor, I came under significant pressure from the administration uh, to raise my GPA. So I did the same thing that Harvey did. Harvey was a friend of mine. Uh, and we think the same way. Uh, I would give the students two sets of grades. One, the one that I thought they deserved. And two, the one that uh, would go on their record so that I wouldn't be penalizing them for taking my courses. Give them the grades that, the, uh, that would be standard for that performance in the, at the university at that time. What is, is a conscientious professor going to do other than that in that situation? You can't just flunk everybody. You can't, you know, 
or give out a whole bunch of D's, C's and D's, you know, nobody's going to take your courses and they'll fire you. <laughs> so you, you, you can lag, you can lag behind a little bit, but you can't all by yourself uh, establish uh, standards. What you can do, and what I did, I would take students who cared about what they were learning individually and you know, spend time with them individually and uh, give them far more assignments and treat them far more rigorously and teach them. Because why? Well, because they wanted to take it. They wanted to learn. The others didn't want learning. All they wanted was to have passed a course. In your uh, your tremendous article in the Claremont Review of Books on uh, the rise of political correctness, you talk about about uh, of course this uh, hardly a, a new phenomenon of the ruling class wanting to crush the people under them, and the people under them now apparently in Europe and in this country uh, revolting to some extent against this, and of course Trump is being one one aspect of it. Well, look, the, the, the most the most important thing that happened in 2016. The same thing is happening in Europe, although uh, uh, we have a, a far better chance of coming out well here in America than, than they do in Europe. The uh, most important thing that's happened is that, uh, that the majority of Americans, something over two-thirds, consistently say that the country is going in the wrong direction, and they want control of it again themselves. Now, um, uh, there is nothing so silly as the as the notion which one hears on Fox News all the time <clears throat> that Trump's voters will stick with Trump no matter what. Wrong. Trump's voters went to Trump because he was the only one who raised a middle finger to the ruling class. Uh, Ted Cruz did it, but Ted Cruz did it in a very gentlemanly fashion. <laughs> uh, Donald Trump left no doubt about uh, about his sentiments, but uh, Donald Trump is not popular for any other reason. He's not popular because people like his hair, or because they like, uh, or because because they like his bluster. He's popular because people think, hope, expect that he will turn the country in a different direction. Now, if he doesn't. And I have my serious doubts that that that, that he that he's doing it or that he will. Uh, people will abandon him uh, more quickly than they came to him in the first place. Why? Because again, uh, they are not stupid, as the ruling class says. They are not simply irrational. Uh, they want something, and if that something is forthcoming, good. If it's not forthcoming, they'll look for it another way. Now, uh, the difference between ourselves and the Europeans is that there's far more common sense and far more learning and far more attachment to civilization here in the United States than there is in Europe. Uh, Europeans have been decultured in a way that Americans have not. And so um, uh, and the, the, the tradition of local and personal responsibility doesn't exist there anymore. Uh, as it still exists here. So I'm more hopeful for the United States of America than I am for Europe. But still, it's the same phenomenon that's going on there and here. If Trump uh, fails or uh, doesn't try or, you know, whatever happens to him, what's next? 
I mean, I know there's uh, something we should fear, something we should look forward to. Well, uh, I, I, I think we, we, we can confidently, although not happily, look forward to the fact that uh, we have begun a revolution, that uh, th- this is really the very worst thing that, that, uh, that one can say about our current situation, that uh, there is no longer, uh, hear me, there is no longer a constituency, a sizable constituency for continuing the United States of America that we grew up in. Uh, you see the um, entire ruling class essentially rejecting the Constitution, the American way, rejecting <clears throat> rejecting the legitimacy of elections. Uh, and um, uh, there can be no mild response to that. Uh, and there isn't one. I mean, the uh, Trump's voters want certain results and they don't particularly care how they get them. The ruling class wants its power and doesn't particularly care how it holds on to it. Uh, this is not a formula for republicanism with a small r. Yeah. Uh, this is a formula for um, competing empires, competing notions of empire. This, uh, uh, the, the culture of uh, moderation that was the glory of this country, I'm afraid, has, uh, has gone away. And the imposition of political correctness has had a, an awful lot to do with chasing it away. I mean, after all, what is people to do when they're being told to, you know, to, to st- stand up and say with a straight face that uh, somebody with a with a with a penis is a woman and somebody with a vagina is a man? I mean, that's uh, you know that that's an imposition far greater than the imposition of of, um, of Big Brother upon Winston to say that there are, there are five fingers when only four are shown. You know, uh, abandon your senses, abandon. Uh, your own mind and listen to us. But what if I don't want to listen to you? What choice do I have? Well, the only choice I have is to tell you to go to hell. I mean, <laughs> and it's, uh, these are not civil choices, mind you. I remember Gerhard Niemeyer pointing out about Soviet propaganda that it was intended to be false. I mean, and the fact that people were forced to parrot falsehoods considered very good by the regime. Yes, it was. By the way, I, I, uh, I thank you for mentioning Hakimeyer. He was one of my professors. Yeah, he was a great man. He was a great man. And, and that the, um, he, he used to teach that ideology is thought in the form of a lie, of a self-conscious lie. So, and, and to get someone to admit that, to a lie that he knows is a lie and that the, the demander also knows the lie, is the ultimate uh, expression of political power. If you can get someone to, to, uh, to agree to the truth of a lie that he knows is a lie and that the demander knows is a lie, then you've got power, the ultimate power. And that's what political correctness is, is an attempt to do, to exert this kind of political power, to get people to say things that they know are not true. Political correctness is is understood as the opposite of factual correctness. The uh, the term, by the way, came into into use um, by by communists in the 1930s when uh, they used to they used to chuckle that uh, well, 
what we're saying is not factually correct, but it is politically correct. In other words, it's useful to us. Is the left's reaction to the Trump election, the hysteria, the weeping, the, all of that, is it because they're aware of their power is based on political correctness, or at least it shows itself through political correctness, and that they're worried that it might be taken away from them or diminished in some way? Well, of course, look, look, and it's even more than that. Uh, they believe that they are entitled to power. Now, power are us. Uh, who are you to rule? Who are you to rule yourselves? Now, you have no right to rule yourselves. The whole, the whole notion, the whole notion, the whole fact of the of what is now being correctly called a deep state is is this that that uh, those in power do not believe that the rest of us have any right to exercise power over ourselves they are the rightful rulers and who the hell is are the rest of us that's what the, this is not weeping these people are not simply they're not saying oh woe is us uh, we will now have to live under somebody else no we will not live under the results of the last election. We will not. Uh, and I mean, the judges who are overturning, uh, who are declaring unconstitutional things that are perfectly obviously constitutional, uh, no, no, they're saying, look, uh, power is mine, say the ruling class, not yours. It doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter how the elections come out. We rule. And now, you know, what is the proper response to that? Uh, is, is the proper response well, all right, we'll, you know, we, we will adhere to the forms of the law, even though you are uh, violating both the letter and the spirit of the law, but we will continue to adhere to it? Well, no, I mean, that's stupidity. I mean, that's, you know, that's living in a, in a, in a dream world. Uh, it takes two to, to, have a, uh, to have constitutional moderation. It doesn't work if only one side has it. And this is what um, I'm afraid that the Trump administration has yet to learn. They, they're waiting for the, uh, for the left to calm down and accept the election results. Well, that's not going to happen. You know, that's simply not going to happen. And then the Trump administration is going to come to an existential choice. Well, what now? You know, what, do we, what do we do? Do you want to leave us with a prediction? Look, my, my, the prediction that I made in that article and in several others is that we have, in fact, stepped over the threshold of a revolution and that um, Trump will not succeed for whatever reason, whether he wants to, doesn't want to, makes bad choices, or the things beyond him, or for whatever reason is not going to turn the country in a, in a substantially different direction and that this will not satisfy those who voted for him and those who didn't vote for him because who would have voted for him if he hadn't been such a such a uh, you know <laughs> so let us say uh, <clears throat> obstreperous uh this will not satisfy them and they will look for a more radical solution uh, radical, radicalization works in all directions, I'm afraid. 
this is not a happy prospect, but uh, you know, this is what, this is what happens. Dr. Cardavilla, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It's, uh, as I say, an honor to have you on, and everybody who's listening to you, perhaps for the first time, your voice. I hope we'll read your books. I love the ruling class. Many of these books are accessible to the intelligent layman. They ought to read um, The Character of Nations, which is a much longer and more um, more scholarly uh, uh, explore, exploration of, uh, of the role that government has in improving or, or worsening uh, the way that we live. Well, thank you so much. Just an honor to have you and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Well, thank you for having me. Well, thanks so much for listening to The Lou Rockwell Show today. Take a look at all the podcasts. There have been hundreds of them. There's a link on the LRC front page. Thank you.